0: I'm constantly thinking how is somebody in my team reacting to something I'm saying or how how is this going to impact them and if you you start to do that you can kind of cut off problems before they become problems and just that empathy I think goes a long way in building teams and I think if you can do it from the top down you'll create a culture of that
1: After beginning her career in a completely unrelated field, Jen Aronson soon pivoted into following her ultimate passion, the culinary arts. She landed the coveted position of associate food editor at San Francisco Magazine, where she reviewed restaurants for a living. She then heard of an opening at Martha Stewart Living and the rest was history. After 14 years there, it was time for a new adventure and she left to co-found a meal delivery service which would eventually become Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon. You're about to hear the inspiring story of a culinary whiz who loves her job and how a FaceTime pocket dial from Martha Stewart launched a partnership that changed Jen's entrepreneurista journey forever. Coming up, how frustrations or seemingly mundane steps in your entrepreneurista journey can actually be the best learning lessons what the process of building a meal delivery service business really looks like. Jen shares the team it takes to ensure the best quality, how Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon can help busy entrepreneurs make the most of their time at home. And finally, how you can get $100 off your first set of meals with Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon. Dan, we are so excited to sit down with you today and learn all about your entrepreneurista journey. You have quite the incredible career history. And I actually thought it was super interesting when I read that you actually double majored in economics and French literature at Cornell, which I'm also a fellow Cornell alumni, so go big red. Um, <laughs> but then you went on to work in banking and now you're in a completely different industry. So I would love to hear a little bit about your journey, your career journey, and what led you to eventually co-found Marley Spoon?
0: Yeah, I had a very convoluted path. Frankly, I went to to college as a pre-med. I really always wanted to be a doctor. And then once, you know, I kind of figured out that that was not going to happen for me, I kind of got lost in college, you know, not really sure what my path was going to be. So yeah, I picked those two majors and, uh, soon after college you know working in a bank just thinking what happened here what am I doing this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life you know and and really all I could think about was what I was cooking that night or what I was making on the weekend or what dinner party I was having or whatever I mean I was always passionate about cooking and food so yeah I just decided two years after college to kind of scrap everything from Cornell, and go to uh, culinary school. And, you know, I had never worked in a restaurant or anything. So this was like, totally brand new for me. Um, But it really felt like the start of the rest of my life. You know, it, it totally was the right decision for me.
2: So what happened after culinary school?
0: yeah so i I went to culinary school and i thought okay i really probably should get some practical experience at the same time so i went to a women's chef and entrepreneurs event and there was this woman there who had just won i think it was a rising star chef in boston and i was like drawn to her i just was so impressed by her and i just was like oh my gosh i have to meet this woman And so I went up to her, her name is Suzanne Gowen, for those on the West Coast. I'm sure everyone knows her because she's this fabulous chef out in LA. But at the time she was in Boston. And I said, you know, if I'm in culinary school, like I literally just started culinary school. It wasn't even like I was a year in or anything. I said, I'm in culinary school, but, you know, I'd love to help out and whatever. And she was like, can you come by tonight? I was like, yes, I can come by tonight. And I, that was it. I started working with her. Um, We had this, or she had this tiny little restaurant, 25 seats or so in the North end of Boston. And I would go there after school and I would make all the salads and she would make all the entrees. We had this tiny little menu that she would write every day. And it was just the most incredible learning experience equal to what I was getting at culinary school. Um, So she just really inspired me. She became this mentor that I think about her, you know, every day, really. So from there, she eventually moved back to LA. Her father was quite ill. And so she hooked me up with some other restaurant jobs. And I continued on in the restaurant world. But ultimately, you know, my big dream was to work for a food magazine. I really wanted to write restaurant reviews. That was like the, you know, ultimate, ultimate, what a crazy job that, you know, if I could ever get a job like that. So I moved to New York. I had like $5,000 in the bank and I thought, okay, I've got $5,000 to try to make it. And then if not, I, I got to like give up the stream. So I started working for free in a bunch of food magazines and, you know, trying to get trying to find my way, trying to find a job. And ultimately I landed uh, while I was working at Sever and I was in doing some recipe testing of food and wine. So I was like loving being into these magazines. You know, this was the world that I really wanted to be in. And then I got a job at a publication called Women's World Magazine in New Jersey, Which was great like i finally had something on my resume you know a real job title on my resume and not just you know kind of interning around and then i i got this opportunity to move to san francisco and that was when i landed like the job that i finally felt like this is my moment this is the start of something so i got this job as associate food editor at san francisco magazine and I was doing restaurant reviews and I was doing, this was, um, let's see, what year is this? This is in like 1999 during like the dot-com craziness. of. How, how old stuff. were you then? How old were you then? I guess I was, tw- I guess I was 29. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. And were you, because you were moving around to different publications, how were you finding these opportunities? Were you networking with people? Were you constantly applying to jobs so you could find that restaurant review
0: job? Yeah. I mean, this was, this was like, there were not sites like there are now. I was literally looking in the paper, you know, and circling that. That was what was going on back then. I was circling jobs in the paper. Um, and I, I would go and intern at a place like sever and then meet people who knew other people. And then I got a job food styling a cookbook for somebody and that brought me to food and wine. So I kind of, you know, kind of connected some dots in the food world, food magazine world
2: do you remember that first restaurant review that you wrote and which restaurant it was?
0: I don't know that I remember the first, but I remember a really bad review I wrote. And I, to this day it kind of haunts me because it was so scathing. I mean, it, the food was, it was a terrible, terrible restaurant. <laughs> the food was awful, but you know, now today as a restaurant owner, I think, God, not just, and they closed soon after, you know, oh and I, I, really will hold that forever you know wondering if like did that review was that like the nail in the coffin but in any case that one i remember i don't know that i remember the first one but i wrote many many restaurant reviews it was so much fun it was so much fun in that heyday of you know living in san francisco to go to all these restaurant openings because it was just i mean one after another after another like incredible restaurants and um me and the other 20-somethings in the office would just go to, you know, every night, a couple of openings or, you know, you got to go eat at this restaurant to do this review or whatever. So it was an extremely fun time.
1: It definitely sounds like a dream job. I have a question for you about restaurant reviews, because I don't know so much about how they work. You just mentioned restaurant openings. Is that typically when the reviews are done? Like when there's a grand opening or are you ever like totally undercover just going in and eating and then writing a review? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. The openings are usually just the party to introduce you to what the restaurant is going to be like and see the decor, et cetera. But no, then you have to go back. The policy was for us. We had to go back three times, totally incognito nobody should know who you are. And, you know, I was nobody, nobody knew what I looked like. It wasn't like I was a New York times restaurant critic or something, you know, so we, that's what we would do. We would go back three times and, you know, order a lot of food, make sure we tried a lot of the menu so that we could write a fair review or, you know, now that I think about it, hopefully I was fair.
2: And what a fun job. Do you go with your
0: coworkers or do you get to bring friends? Yes. I mean, the more people really that you could bring, the better, because then you can really get exposure to most of the menu. Yeah. I know it was a great job. I don't know why I left it. I <laughs> I was know. I'm like, oh, I think I want that job <laughs> in my next life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Yeah. But ultimately what happened was I really missed cooking. And I think that's that's kind of what tore me away from it and and also wanting to move back to New York.
1: So when did that happen? Tell us the next step.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I I was in San Francisco for two years and then um, randomly I was at a baby shower out in San Francisco and I ran into this woman who was the West coast editor for Martha Stewart living magazine. And I was like, Oh, I love that magazine. You know, that to me was the ultimate. I loved everything, Martha. And she and I just really hit it off. And she's like, You should, you have to come work at Martha. I'm like, yeah, Great. Yes. I would love to. <laughs> she's like, You know, what? I'm going to talk to the food editor because I think they're looking for people. So she ultimately hooked me up with Susan Spungen, an amazing um, food editor and cookbook author. And I flew to do an, an interview and then I. Flew back again to do a cooking trial, which was part of the test for the job. And man, that was nerve wracking because now we're talking, this is October, 2001. So right after September mm. 11th. And I remember getting to New York and, you know, people weren't taking the subways, you couldn't get a cat. It was just very difficult. And I had to bring my groceries for what I was cooking to the test kitchen. And I just remember like assuming I was gonna get a cab and I couldn't get a cab and just walking, walking, walking as fast as I could. I was like an hour late to my cooking trial, panicked, total panic. But then everything went fine once I was in the kitchen and I didn't realize that Martha was herself was gonna come in and taste what I was making. That really threw me. Oh my goodness but she really loved it. I remember I made this like blueberry tart with a maple caramel and she ate the whole thing. So that was really fun. And then, so of course, ultimately I got the job and I moved back to New York for that job. And I stayed there for 14 years. So that was really something, an incredible job.
1: That is incredible. And now I want your blueberry tart. So <laughs> you've got me very hungry, Jen.
0: I know. I'm sorry. Was, that was a good one. Tell
1: us a little bit about your career at Martha Stewart and, and what did you learn?
0: Oh my God. What didn't I learn? It was the most creative playground, really. It just was this incredible opportunity to learn beyond cooking. I mean, I learned so much about cooking mostly from the other women and men, mostly women in the test kitchen. I think there were probably 15 of us in the test kitchen at that time. But also working just with, you know, world class photographers and art directors and prop stylists and just this creative world that I had no idea existed. And the way we would craft these stories that went so far beyond the food you know the food would be one part of it but then it was this world they would create and oh my god it, i just loved all of those moments i loved working with the art directors and seeing how they would like conceptualize the stories and um sketch them out and then these prop stylists would arrive with the most beautiful things and to just watch the stories come together really it was it was magical i have to say
2: that sounds like a, an incredible learning experience. How did you end up starting Marley Spoon? How did that come to be?
0: Yeah, so about, you know, 14 years into this job and I was leading the team at that point And we worked on so many different things from the various magazines to, you know, supporting the television show merchandise that would come out of recipes that we would make, or we'd create recipes for various pans and things like that. We had a radio show, we had a blog, we had an interview, we had all these things. And, and it was all coming out of our kitchen. It was very exciting. But you know, after 14 years, I kind of was like, okay, so am I going to be here forever? Like I would, I didn't, at that point, I didn't want to go to another magazine. I really felt like I had in at the ultimate experience of being in a food magazine I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I really wanted to do something I wanted a new challenge I guess put it that way and honestly I was like looking online just randomly and I think I put in culinary director and up comes this posting for this meal kit company in Germany that was looking to start in the U.S. And they were looking for a culinary person to to start this. And I was like, okay, you know, this is six and a half years ago and meal kits were just kind of starting. They weren't really a thing like they are today. And I thought, okay, I I don't know that I buy this whole meal kit thing. I I know how to cook. I don't need a meal kit. I don't know. Maybe they're a thing. Maybe they're not. But it sounds interesting. Let me reach out. And so I reached out and our founder... He called me back and he flew to New York and we met and he told me about this vision that he wanted to start, you know, a U.S. branch and um, told me about what they were doing in Berlin. And I was so intrigued and excited. And he, he said, you know, you're you're the expert, you know, the U.S. market. This is yours to create. We have support in Berlin website, all that kind of stuff. But really, you can do what you want to do with it. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is such a great opportunity to launch a brand. And I loved everything about building a brand, you know, after being part of such a substantial, recognizable brand. I just thought this is such a fabulous opportunity to, like, take all that stuff that I learned from all those other people outside of culinary and really apply it to this company. So. I just decided, okay, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm going to leave, you know, and it was, everybody couldn't believe I was leaving because I'd been there so long, and um, I just, you know, it was just me in the beginning, and then a marketing person, and an operations person, and then it was three of us, and, you know, I was doing everything from the start, you know, developing the food having the photographer come to my house, photograph the food, try to figure out how to get it on the website. Um, Where are we going to buy the food? Source the food, everything. We didn't even have a facility to ship boxes out of. We were renting space to build boxes. I was building the boxes, stamping the boxes with with the logo. I mean, it was really, really startup mode, but it was so exciting, you know, just coming from kind of drifting along for the past, you know, year or so in my job to all of a sudden, like, go, go, go. This is a whole new world. So, so it was super exciting and another great move. So that was, that was good.
1: How did Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon come to be the collaboration together?
0: Well, this is probably my number one favorite story that I tell lots of, um, any of the new joiners to our company, I always tell them this story. So, when I left Martha Stewart, I went and told her personally and told, and she said, where are you going? And I told her and she said, oh, well, I'm really interested in meal kits. So please keep me posted. So I thought, okay, I'll keep her posted. I, you know, I don't know when, but yeah, so someday I will tell her how the job's going. And after we were up and going, I don't know, we're in our first year and Fabian says, "You know, why don't we call Martha? And see if she wants to be an investor or you know, let's just have a chat with her. So I thought, okay, I guess I have to set up that meeting. And you know, I was kind of thinking about the best way to do it, whatever. And I'm walking to Grand Central and my phone rings. And I look at it and it's a FaceTime from Martha. (laughs) And I'm like, this is weird. She does not FaceTime me. She must, it must be a pocket dial, you know, (laughs) because. I'm. I get Parker dialed a lot. My last name starts with two A's. I don't know. There's something about that that I think a lot of people mistakenly dial me. Anyway, so I answer the phone, and then she's hysterical laughing. She's like, ah! she's like Jennifer. I'm sorry. I guess I must have, you know, mistakenly called you. Oh, was a dial. <laughs> it, was, it was a pocket dial. It was a pocket dial. So then I, you know, I'm like, this is my opportunity. So wait, okay, so, so. Was, your,
2: was your conversation with him earlier that day? And this all happened in the same day? No, not the same
0: day. It was okay. like maybe that week. It had, okay. I, you know, I I was like percolating on how I was going to call her or should I call her assistant? You know, I was like trying to figure out the best way. But then all of a sudden there she is on FaceTime. So <laughs> I said, well, you know, it's funny that you should call because I've been wanting to reach out and we would, you know, really love to come and tell you about Marley spoon. So she's like, great, set something up with my assistant. And so I did. And we went in and we told her all about it. And she did such due diligence. She tried all the meal kits that were out at that time. She tried our food, she tried everybody else's food. She really wanted to vet it and make sure this is something that she, you know, would put her name on and ultimately, you know, wanted to to partner with us. So that was great because all of a sudden, you know, we had a nice big name attached to our company and, you know, it was the right fit for me because I certainly knew the Martha brand and I kind of can't do anything but martha anymore you know what i mean like <laughs> i've been so i've been in that lane for so long so it already felt right
2: when someone signs up for martha stewart and marley spoon what can they expect how easy is it to order meals
0: oh it's super easy so basically so it's a subscription-based service so you sign up you Tell us how many meals a week you want to do, and that's flexible. You can change your number of meals any given week. Um, you tell us are there things that you don't eat or do not like spicy food, etc., so that we won't ever send you those or recommend those for you. And then basically, you're you're given that week's menu, and we have a different menu every single week, and we have over thirty items every week. And currently, we have. 27 dinner items but then on top of that we have breakfast and brunch and desserts and there's something different all the time there might be smoothies there might be like a ready to heat chocolate lava cake that you don't have to cook you just heat up um, so there's all sorts of things and basically you just choose if you had signed up say for two meals a week but those chocolate lava cakes look so good and you add them on you can just add them on Um, so it's actually, it becomes tough because you don't know, you can't choose between all the (laughs) meals. I actually now let my kids choose because I get it all the time. And, and I don't know if you remember hearing me say before, like, I know how to cook. I don't need a meal kit. Well, guess what? I'm like totally addicted to meal kits now because it truly makes your life so much easier. And especially for families where parents are working, you don't have a lot of time, you know, for the grocery shopping, the figuring out what you're going to make, et cetera. And so just to be able to pull the ingredients that are already like pre-weighed, pre-measured, all that stuff to just be able to enjoy cooking and enjoy making a home cooked meal for your family. It's really a gift on the nights that they don't have a meal kit. I scramble around like, what did I do before? It's, it's tough. It's tough to cook a good meal every night. So this is really super helpful.
2: I couldn't agree more. I'm a big, big fan of of meal kits and specifically Martha Stewart and, and Marley Spoon. I remember when this concept first came to be and the questions that I had at the time were like logistically this sounds so complicated. So while it makes it so easy for the consumer, on the backside, how do you manage an operation like this with all of these different choices, food that can go bad and delivering it all, keeping it all you know, safe and healthy? It sounds very complicated.
0: <laughs> it is complicated, I have to admit. I mean, at the end of the day, we are a food manufacturing company. It's not easy it's not easy it's especially these days where supply chain issues are real and uh, shipping issues are real it's quite challenging right now but we have designed some bespoke manufacturing systems that really help us build the boxes so that we don't leave out ingredients so that we do keep all the ingredients cold you know we monitor temperatures every week to understand how much insulation we need in the box how much ice we need in the box so it's not just a plug and play kind of thing it's a real like where is this going what is the temperature of that zone etc so you're totally right it's it's very complicated but it's a you know it's a service it's a great service so it's worth doing
2: and what type of team do you need, and what roles do you need on this team to keep this uh, operation moving forward?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we have, uh, you know, we have three fulfillment centers around the country: California, Texas, and New Jersey. And so, of course, those fulfillment centers are are full of all the people who pack the boxes, all the teams that run the lines. We also have our food safety and quality associates that make sure that everything comes into the building approved at the right temperature, stays at the right temperature while it's in the building. We have all the people who do the purchasing. Um, so there's a whole purchasing and sourcing team for all the ingredients, all the packaging, et cetera. And then in the offices, we have my team, which is the culinary team, and we have a big test kitchen and the photo studio. So there's lots of Lots going on in that kitchen, and then of course, you know, we have the finance side and supply chain that that takes care of inventory and waste and etc. So there's there are many, many, many teams that deal with all of it, and it's it's a real puzzle to keep it going all the time. I'm sure.
1: I have to share that I was so excited when you launched your ready-made kits. Yeah, because as much as I like trying to cook sometimes as a, as a busy mom and, and working, I sometimes just don't even have the time to cook. So for lunch, like, especially if I'm, you know, doing this recording podcasts or sitting at my computer, just to be able to grab something from the fridge and heat it up and have a fresh ready, ready-made kit. It's been super helpful. So what made you also decide to launch the ready-made kits and not just have the kits to cook?
0: Yeah, so really it's about, I mean, everything that we do is about listening to the customers and reacting to what they want. So we know that the Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon customer wants to be cooking. We know that, but they don't always have time to be cooking. And so we need to give them meals for all of those eating occasions, you know, not just dinner, breakfast, lunch, you know, dessert, etc., but also all of those days and not not every day is the same you might have some day where okay great you finish work at three and you've got time and that's the day you're going to make the salmon dinner and it's going to be great you know it's going to be this wonderful dinner but then there's some nights where you finish at six and you got to get out the door at 6 30 you know that you have no time and you have mouths to feed so we knew that that need was there for just a microwavable meal but it it had to be really, you know, it had to be a quality microwavable meal. And so we found the right partner. And I personally tasted so many different meals to really, you know, find the right ones. And I'm really proud of what we're producing now. And the customers are really enjoying these meals and really enjoying the convenience. I mean, it's all about the convenience on those meals. But they're super tasty and they're they're filling and they're healthy, so we feel good about them for sure. We'll, we're going to try and grow that segment a bit more.
1: This is true. I tried the rainbow veggie noodle bowl and it was delicious.
0: Yeah, that's uh, delicious. a good one. Lots of vegetables. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I love
2: to cook, but I am definitely just as busy as Stephanie, so I need to try the, the ready meal kits as well. Yes, yes. I'd love to learn more about who your target market is. Mm -hmm. who is your consumer at this point?
0: Yeah, we know who orders from us are mostly women, but it's for the most part, I think our largest segment are households of two. So children are either very young and they're feeding them something else or the children have already moved out of the house. Um, I I think that kind of empty nester is a big segment for us. Also, you know, there are a lot of, families where the kids eat something different. This, just, this is just a fact. It's kind of sad fact for me. I like to think that everybody sits down together and every household all across America, I know it doesn't happen in my house every day. But for our two-person plan, I would say the majority is the, the empty nester or the, yeah, the couples that just, they're not feeding the kids with the kit. But then of course we have a four-person plan and that's really great geared more towards families. And I think those families are families with kids who are more, you know, preteen and teenage years. So they, they are feeding, you know, they are eating like an adult and they are four full portions. So that makes sense.
2: Well, I want to ask you a marketing question. So at Fly, our mission is to set a new standard for how brands reach and resonate with women. Uh, so can you share any advice on how to market to your target consumer what have you found works what doesn't
0: work Mm -hmm. well our partnership with martha i think has been a really big help for us and really any um content that we put across that includes martha is probably you know most impactful that as well as we use a lot of beauty dish imagery in in our marketing and we know which ones do super well, always bring people in and which don't, which also helps us on the, um, on the recipe development side. So, you know, it's always interesting to hear from the marketing folks, what's really making an impact and what's not anything around Martha is really what we try to focus on. And we want to continue to do more and more content with her. So, because we know, you know, people are, are, understand that Martha stands for quality they know that she probably her number one love of all the things that she loves is food and that recipes associated with Martha are usually great recipes that work. And that's really something that my team and I are focused on is really continuing that tradition of great tasting recipes that actually work. So we spend a tremendous amount of time in the test kitchen, testing and retesting recipes to ensure that our customers have great success with them. So, yeah, the more that we can do with her, the better, I think, on the marketing side.
1: When you formed your partnership with Martha, can you share some of the learning lessons about developing a partnership in business, especially with like a celebrity or an influencer? Because I know a lot of our entrepreneurs who are listening would love to be able to partner with like a very well-known public figure. What is that process like? What do negotiations look like? And how do you work out those deals?
0: Yeah, I think our case was kind of unique, you know, because I had such a history with her, you know, explained how she did such due diligence in checking out the competition and the market. But ultimately, you know, she she loved our product, but also knew that she already had a relationship with me, you know, so there was a level of trust there that, you know, I think is quite unique to maybe you want to form a partnership with somebody you don't never met before. That's probably going to be a lot trickier. So I just think we kind of got lucky in that sense that it made sense for our company. And also she was very interesting in kind of putting her name on a a brand. She could trust that I was running the team in the right way and knew her aesthetic and her taste so that it would align with. Her already. I won't go into the negotiations because I wasn't a big part of that. I really left that up to Fabian. So I can't speak so much to that. I feel like I was the connector and they took it from there. But I do think, as a no name company, to go from a like really totally unknown company to all of a sudden part of another very large, well known brand is such a great decision for any little company out there, you know, if you can do those partnerships, it's, it's certainly, you know, our trajectory was, was huge after that. So definitely something, if you can make it happen, worth doing.
1: How long did the process take in negotiation? And then once it was signed in terms of implementation, what was that
0: timeline like? I feel like it was relatively fast. I want to say nine months or so, First, she did all her tasting and all that stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think it was probably nine months start to finish. So pretty fast.
2: I have some more logistical questions. So are there any, I guess, things that you were surprised to learn through, I guess, the manufacturing process? So I know you spent a lot of time figuring out what meals to put in the kits, but are there any ingredients you can't include because they don't travel well? Are there any, you know, things that you can't do because of uh, just all of the logistical issues?
0: There are lots of them. I mean, my team would probably say the number one thing is avocados. We we don't yeah. send avocados. It's, it's really hard to send an avocado. You know, it's always overripe or it's underripe. If it's underripe, you know, then you have to wait till it's ripe to make that meal and maybe the other ingredients are going bad. So we just avoid avocados um, and bananas. And, you know, there's a lot of things that have a very short shelf life that we just don't mess around with because we don't we don't want to disappoint the customers. So we really have focused in on what are those things that do ship well, what are those things that will look good just like when it arrived at our doorstep, it will still look good when it arrives at their doorstep. So we spend a lot of time on that. We spent a lot of time figuring out the right packaging for things, you know, baby greens like spinach, baby spinach and arugula, they actually need to be in a bag that has micro perforated holes so that it can breathe and condensation doesn't build up and wilt the green. so you know we invest in the right packages for the right items and especially on the produce side that's like a, something that we've invested a lot of time and money in as well as things like yogurt it's in kind of a brittle package so we had to find the right yogurt that had the right kind of flexibility to it but had a lid on it so that that like foil didn't get punctured. There's just like so many things to think about. I guess what's nice in the six and a half years since we started, food manufacturers have really tuned into meal kits and are are making lots of these smaller sized, individual sized items, you know, like a little thing of tomato paste or a little sachet of this a sachet of peanut butter. So the, Kinds of items we can get now are much broader, and also the packaging is—you know—they've they've worked on the packaging, knowing the shipping concerns. So, I would say we've we've sorted out a lot in the past six years on that front. But back to your original question, that there, there's so much about the manufacturing that I that has surprised me, like the way that we're packing boxes right now that I can't really disclose is just so smart and. Um, you know, I've never been involved in any manufacturing world before. So that's been really super interesting to be a part of and to learn and continue to fine tune because, you know, we just rolled out a whole new manufacturing system. It's so much smarter. It's going to allow us to to scale the business even more.
1: Looking back at your career now and and all you have accomplished, could you even have imagined, you know, going back to your Cornell days that you would be the co-founder and running this, you know, huge meal delivery kit. Like what does that feel like?
0: I don't know. You know, I don't even know what my path is going to be. I (laughs) feel like I said, I was so kind of lost when I left the pre-med behind. I just was like, what am I going to do? So yeah, I think I'd be quite surprised. Um, I, I think I was always ambitious. I always wanted to do something big. I wanted to do something great. I just, and to me, being a doctor was big and great. I did, that That would have been big and great. So I'm not saying that. I just, I, I always had ambitions. And I always worked hard and wanted to keep advancing and do more and be proud of what I was doing. So that drove me.
2: What are you most excited about with Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon? What's next in the next five to 10 years?
0: There's a lot coming up. A lot that I can't, share. But I will say, you know, even as of January, we have exciting changes that will be coming to the menus, exciting new offerings. So you mentioned the ready-made meals. There'll be more interesting new outside of the normal meal kit coming and it's right around the corner. So that's exciting. Unfortunately, I can't tell you more details, but there's a lot coming. And then I think really beyond that, we'll probably continue to build at least one if not two more fulfillment centers hoping to get boxes even sooner to customers and maybe even shorten the the time from when you say you want the food to when you get the food I think if we could you know have next day delivery or a day of or you know work on that kind of the logistical side of things I think that that would be a goal of ours in the next five years is to really, you know, right now you have to kind of lock in your orders a certain number of days in advance, but wouldn't it be great if you could just order something for tonight and have it delivered up or tomorrow night? You know,
1: that would be, that'd be good. Let us know as soon as that's live, we'll share it with everyone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So just more convenience like that, both on the cooking side, but also on the, just the experience.
1: All right, Jen, this is a fun little segment we like to do that you didn't know about ahead of time. We're going to do a few rapid fire questions. The first thing that comes to your mind, are you ready? Oh gosh. Okay. I promise it. it's easy and fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what song would you say best sums you
0: up? Oh gosh. This is such a hard one. I don't even know if this is the title of the song. I can't stop this feeling. You know that? Yes. Can't stop this feeling. I I don't know why that popped into my head, but I don't know why that sums me up. I won't (sighs) even go there because I can't even figure it out. What is your favorite snack? Nuts. Definitely. I always joke that I think I was a squirrel in another life. (laughs) I just love, I love nuts, any kind of nuts. I'm always snacking on nuts and it's, it's also a great snack and it's really filling. It takes no time at all, but I'm very particular that they must be toasted and I think you can digest them better if they're toasted. So interesting. Yeah.
1: Toasted nuts. All right. What is your favorite ingredient to cook with?
0: I would say anything out of my garden because I love to garden and I love fresh, super fresh ingredients. It always tastes better when you grow it yourself. And I recently brought to a friend's house some, Arugula from the garden, and they were like, "Oh my God, this is nothing like arugula to get in the grocery store." And it's true; it's just it's it's like so spicy. So I would just say anything that I could grow on my own usually tastes better, or that I could get from a great farm.
2: Do you have a favorite restaurant and dish?
0: Well, I mean, I guess I would have to say <laughs> the restaurant that my husband and I own is my favorite. <laughs> um, favorite dish? I love cacio e pepe. You know that dish? It's basically um, spaghetti. I had it last night, actually. <laughs> oh my god! Stop! It's, a, it's such a perfect dish, right? Was it with spaghetti or bucatini? Do, do you spaghetti. remember? Spaghetti. Spaghetti. It's just such a simple, but if made right, perfect dish with just lots of pepper and usually pecorino and creaminess on the on the pasta. Just I love that. You're making me hungry again for
1: the the second time, the third time in this uh, recording. And tell everyone, because we didn't even talk about it yet, the name of your restaurant.
0: Yes. So it's called Borough Six Wine Bar. So we named it Borough Six because we like to think where we live here in Westchester is the sixth borough of Manhattan. And it's a wine bar. It was started without a kitchen. We just had a toaster in the beginning and we really focused on charcuterie and cheeses and salads. And now we've built out a full kitchen, have a fabulous chef and we've been hot meals. And so it's great. We love it.
2: How would your friends and family describe you in three words?
0: I think they would say that I am introspective slash quiet. Um, Although I've been super talkative today, so you probably would never have guessed that. I think they would describe me as an extreme multitasker doing a thousand things and on top of a thousand things, and then I guess loyal. I'm not somebody who makes a thousand friends and doesn't really connect with them. Like I, I make few friends and I'm quite loyal and stay close to those friends.
1: Final rapid fire question. Do you have a hidden
0: talent? Hidden talent. I'm really good at jigsaw puzzles. Ah. Like I kind of want to compete at a jigsaw puzzle competition. I don't know if there's even that sort of thing, but I love jigsaw puzzles and I'm always doing one.
1: All right. If any of our listeners know of any (laughs) jigsaw puzzle competitions, (laughs) please reach out to Jen.
2: I oh love gosh. jigsaw puzzles too, but I don't get to do them that often. Are you, would you want to compete in a thousand piece competition, 500? What's yeah, time?
0: I usually <laughs> I usually do a thousand piece. Wow. Um, I recently just did a 2000 piece. That was a big one. I, it's like kind of pushing the limits of my table space. But um, yeah, I like a thousand the best. My team actually gave me this puzzle of the month club membership. <laughs> And that's been the best present ever. So every, the beginning of the month, I get a new puzzle. So that's And how long does it take you to fun. do a thousand piece puzzle? I'm so curious. Not long. Like, wow. When I go to my parents' house, I always start a puzzle the minute I get there. If I can be there for the weekend, then I'll finish it in the weekend. Where do
1: you put all of these puzzles? Do you, <laughs> do you put them back in the box once you're, uh...
0: yeah, as soon as it's done, I just like Put it back in the box and then I'll give it away to a library or you know to a friend or whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> but here's the thing, here's the thing with puzzles. For me, it's kind of like meditation. I'm I'm working on a puzzle, but I'm working through the email I'm gonna send or that slide deck I need to make. Like that is my serious thinking time. Interesting. So. You
1: really can multitask if you can focus on a puzzle and all of your <laughs> emails in your head. I mean, that is your
2: your business is a big puzzle. <laughs> so. It is. It is. You're in the perfect. Like yeah, you're in the perfect uh, place.
0: Yeah, for <laughs> sure.
2: So outside of business, what do you like to do for fun?
0: I love to play tennis. Become a mad tennis player. I think maybe three years ago I got serious about wanting to play tennis. And now I play every day, sometimes twice a day on the weekends, definitely twice a day. And I've just, you know, met this great group of women. I've joined some teams. We've had just it's added so much to my life. But really I wouldn't I couldn't do this when my kids were little, you know, so so now I feel like this is my thing outside of my jigsaw puzzles. It's my thing that I get to go do. You know, it's only five minutes from my house to drive down and play tennis and it keeps me active, but it's also super competitive, you know? And I like that about it. I've always liked competition and, you know, I've always liked being on a team. So it satisfies a lot of things. And actually it ties so well with the business world. If you think about being on a team and strategizing, like all these things, that I work on in tennis, I think that actually relates to my team at work. And maybe we should talk about that. And one thing I read a lot of sports psychology books and best tennis game of your life kind of books. And it's so relevant to work life It is. I, I actually now send chapters to people on my team, like this is so relevant to what we were just talking about that you're trying like this hurdle you're trying to get over. It's written out in that relating to tennis, but like the exact same way to solve the problem. So that's been a fun outcome of being involved in tennis more.
1: That's so awesome and interesting at the same time. And I know you mentioned you you have kids. How old are they now?
0: So I have an 11-year-old daughter. She's almost 12 on Thanksgiving Day. She turns 12 and my son just turned 16.
1: And what has it been like, you know, being a working mom and building this, you know, huge business, especially with Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon over the past six plus years while raising a family? Because they're both, I know, a lot of work. I have a a two-year-old and it's it's not easy. Any tips you can share for how you've been able to balance
0: everything? Yeah, I think it's really important to, to make time. Right. So anybody, I have a lot of moms on my team, and if they need to start working at 11, and they or they get up really early in the morning and work then, like it's just that flexibility needs to be there. And that was something that I had, which really, really helped because I am somebody who gets up extremely early, like sometimes four in the morning, and like that's good thinking time for me. And I'll get a bunch of work done, but then when my kids get up and I can be there and actually like walk with them to school and I can take that chunk of time with my kids and then go back to work. So it's just about making sure you're in a position with flexibility built in, um, because I really don't know how I would have done it in any other
1: way. So, so important. I, I couldn't agree more. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that defines you or that you live by?
0: I think it's really important to stay humble. I think you have to be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see it through their eyes. One of our values at Mr. Marley Spring is to have no ego. And I think I can't say enough about how important that is. I'm constantly thinking about, you know, how does somebody on my team, reacting to something I'm saying, or how, how is this going to impact them? And if you you start to do that, you can kind of cut off problems before they become problems. And just that empathy, I think, goes a long way in building teams. And I think if you can do it from the top down, you'll create a culture of that.
2: And lastly, uh, what does being an entrepreneur mean to you?
0: I think it really is about setting an example for the next generation, you know, I work really hard and I take care of myself and my family. Like I'm hoping that I'm modeling a work ethic that I can pass on to my daughter. My mom worked, she went back to work when I was 11 and watching her become this super successful businesswoman was so inspiring for me. Like she could do it all. She had it all and I really wanted my daughter to see that same that same from me. So I hope I do this enough. I try to encourage the young women on my team to use their voice, to speak up, to advocate for themselves. Women are like capable of so much. So I just hope to empower more young women to really, you know, find their path. Look at my crazy path. It was all over the place. Like If you you just tune in to what your inner voice is saying, you might just find the right path for you as well.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree more. Listening to that voice and following your heart and your gut is so important to to keep moving forward in, in your journey. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing your story and entrepreneurs journey with us. It has been so wonderful to get to hear all of these learning lessons that you've shared and the inspiration that you've shared. And you've also made us very hungry. I need to go go have some of my, my meal kit when, when we stop this recording. Jennifer, where can everyone follow you and catch up with you on social?
0: Uh, yeah, so there's a course at Marley Spoon. Um, and then personally, I'm at Geo Frankie, which is G-I-O-F. R-A-N-K-I-E, which is the combination of my kids' two names, so follow me there.
1: And we will definitely link out to all of your social channels in our show notes. And for our Entrepreneurista listeners who would like to try Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon, you can head over to com forward slash Marley Spoon to read all about our experience with Martha Stewart and Marley Spoon. And of course, you know, we always have special codes for each of you. You can get $100 off your first four boxes. So again, that's dot forward slash Marley spoon, you will get $100 off your first four boxes and hear all about our experience. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at Entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to Entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.